0: Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to your sight. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have a friend. Um, This was the second year of college. So um, I came back. So I went to Chicago. I came back. And when I did come back, uh, I went with a... uh, high school basketball team over to uh, the Philippines, if I've shared this before, uh, you can just stand up and say, stop Levi, Um, stop sharing it, um, because I don't keep track of my illustrations, but maybe I should, Um, but anyways, we were going on this trip, and there was about 14 of us, 14 kids uh, that were going, no, 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 about 10 kids that were going, four chaperones, so 14 in all, and they were all staying in my parents' house. And my parents are international. You know, they've, they've lived abroad 18 years. And for some reason, it doesn't matter when the flight is, if we leave when there's sunlight outside, we're going to be late for the flight. Right? That was, that was the idea. So we're leaving, you know, 4 or 5 a.m. There's 14 of us. Uh, it's a 15-passenger van with all of our luggage and the 14 of us. Absolute and utter chaos. Um, Absolute chaos, 4.30, 5 a.m., trying to get everybody into this bus. So what I did um, that I thought was quite clever was I made a list. Uh, so I wouldn't forget what I needed to bring on said trip. Um, so I made a list of all the things you need, you know, towels. I don't know why they say the only thing I can think of. Um, so towels and... Etc. And then um, I told my friend, I said, hey, you should make a list too. So he said, you know, that's a good idea. So he started making a list, you know, towels and stuff. And as he's making his list, I still can't think of anything else. So, but the next morning, uh, we get up and it's just as we expect. It's chaotic, right? There's chaos. People running around trying to, you know, should I shower? Maybe, probably not. So we're, we're, we're all getting packed into this bus and we're in wijongbu at the time. We're going down to Incheon, right? Incheon International Airport. It's about a 50-minute ride on the bus. And about 30 minutes through, my friend looks back at me with death in his eyes, and I knew exactly what had happened. He remembered his towels, uh, but he forgot the only thing he actually needed to travel. Yeah, it starts with the, starts with the P. There, it is. Yeah, passport. Exactly. Uh, because... The truth is, so often in the midst of chaos, we remember a lot of things, but we forget the most important thing. And in times of fear and chaos, what we need to remember, I think, are the reminders we get today from Psalm 46. And it is a beautiful psalm. I almost want to step away and just let the psalm preach itself, because it is my favorite psalm, in fact, engraved um, in my wedding ring is Psalm 46, because I want him to be the stronghold of our household in whatever might come our way. Our psalm today gives us reminders for chaotic times. Reminders for chaotic times. It functions as fuel for faith in times of fear. Fuel for faith in times of fear. And there are many things in our world today that could cause fear. Um, Among them, we fear the government's next decision Uh, Next, mandate for social distancing because that affects possibly our jobs, our social plans, our ministry goals, and so much more of life. There's also the fear of the virus itself. Do I have the virus? Uh, Will my children contract the virus? Uh, There are so many things that are uncertain due to our current situation. How do we live by faith in a busy world filled with fear? I think we're going to address that today in our Psalm. And the Psalms have been the place, uh, historically speaking, in the church. The Psalms have been the place where the church has consistently gone for comfort in times of trials and chaos. In the Psalms, we get a prayer for every season of the soul. A prayer for every season of the soul. We learn in the Psalms that we're not alone in our trouble. That God's people can find hope in the midst of life's storms. It's no wonder then that the first book that the Puritans wrote not wrote, but the the first book that the Puritans printed was the book of Psalms. Because they couldn't print the whole Bible, they chose the book of Psalms. And one author replies, someone asked him, why did you print the Psalms? And he said, because there was no other collection that so encompasses the range of human experience and the wonder of God's response to that experience. And our psalm today does exactly that. In fact, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said to his fellow believers as they suffered persecution, Come, let us sing the 46th Psalm and let the devil do his worst. Psalm 46 for Martin Luther and for us functions as fuel for faith in times of fear. And it gives us proper reminders for times of chaos. Now admittedly, uh, the Psalms, you, you, could, you could read most of the Psalms and get so much out of it be blessed by it by not exactly knowing the context of the psalm but when we do understand the context it deepens its meaning and its application for our lives even more right when that is available to us and our psalm today psalm 46 is probably uh, scholars aren't 100% sure but it's probably correlated uh, with the scene in 2nd kings chapter 18 19, where King Hezekiah, um, he's in Jerusalem, right? And Sennacherib, what a name, Sennacherib is surrounding Jerusalem with the army of Assyria. And if you know anything about the Assyrian army, you know that they're pretty brutal. Like they skin people alive and stuff. It's, it's, it's terrible. So that's what's waiting for them outside their walls. And, 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 and so scholars believe that this was penned by those that are in the city walls as they're outside. And I want to read from that portion just so we get a good glimpse of of what we're looking at here. And Sennacherib, as he's standing outside the city walls, he starts to taunt the people of Israel. Starts to taunt Hezekiah, the leader of Israel, and even starts to taunt God. He's talking mad trash. And here's what Sennacherib says. What are you basing your, this confidence of yours? You say you have counsel and the might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? And it continues later in chapter 18. Don't listen to Hezekiah. He's misleading you when he says, the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamat or Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim, Hina, Eva? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries has been able to save his land from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? That's Sennacherib. Then in chapter 19, God responds to Sennacherib. This is chapter 19, verse 25 through 28. I love this first line. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass that you should turn fortified cities into heaps of ruins while their inhabitants shorn of strength are dismayed and confounded and have become like plants of the field like tender grass like grass on the housetops blighted before it's grown but I know you're sitting down and you're going out and you're coming in and you're raging against me because you have raged against me and your complacency has come into my ears. I will put a hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. What a powerful response from a God that protects his people. After Sennacherib insults God and threatens Israel, God then rescues Israel from the Assyrians. And if you know the story, you know how it happens. An angel of the Lord comes down. A singular angel of the Lord strikes down 185,000 soldiers. And it's very possible that this is the context of our psalm today. And whatever the context, we know, based on the content of the psalm, that political turmoil, political unrest, possible potential war, And deliverance is no doubt what this is all about. And those reminders for times of chaos and worry I think will be helpful for us. And the first one is this, that we remember the presence of God. So the first reminder for times of chaos, we remember the presence of God. Verse 1, a very present help in trouble, a very present help in trouble. Uh, Verses 7 and 11, that's a refrain. It's repeated. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. The presence of God mentioned several times in this passage. No doubt, the psalmist wants us to remember, the readers to remember, the presence of God. Uh, In fact, the psalmist says that the presence of God gives good reason not to fear. He says there in verse 2, Therefore... Because God is with us, therefore, we will not fear. And God's presence dispelling fear is consistent uh, throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10 says this, Fear not. Why? For I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Joshua chapter 1 verse 1. Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Then the famous Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The reason, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Maybe some of us just need to hear that today. That even in the valley, he is there. And in our chapter, verse 1, it says that God is very present. And when I first read that, I remember the first time I read it. It was actually in Bible college. And you think, well, the first time you read Psalm 46, it was in Bible college? Probably, probably not a great thing. But it was. I remember, I remember the moment. And when I read very present, I thought it quite odd. Uh, because um, I, I love teaching. Some of us like teaching. And I, I thought of calling role in a classroom. So you're calling role in a classroom. You say, okay, Billy, here. Uh, Minu, Here. Songman, here, you know, you're calling roll. Uh, somebody gets up and says, very present. And you're like, you laugh, right? Because it's just not true. You're either here or you aren't. Not so with God. He's everywhere. And I like how one theologian puts it. When talking about the availability of God, he said this, if you can do nothing else, you can pray. I think that is immensely powerful that our God is so available to those that are his children. He's more present than the friends we turn to for advice. He's more present than the troubles we face. The question we should ask ourselves, the question we should not ask ourselves is, where is God in my trouble? The question we should ask ourselves is, where do I go when troubles come? That's the question we should ask. Our initial response to chaos should be to run To our refuge. If you wanted a a phrase to put in the back of your head, to maybe put on your refrigerator, retreat to your refuge. Retreat to your refuge. That should be our initial response to any trouble in our life. Now, this isn't the the main idea of the book of Jonah, maybe not even Jonah chapter one, but I think it's a helpful illustration here. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. We're pretty familiar. Um, God said, Go. Jonah said, no, right? God said, go east. No, no, God said, go west. Jonah went east. Oh, close one. As he's sailing away from God's calling, God sends a storm. Uh, and the initial response of the sailors when the, when the storm comes is to row with all their might away, try to get to land, right? That's their initial response. And then the storm gets stronger and stronger and stronger. They row harder, harder, harder until they realize they can't do nothing about it. Then they cry out to God. And this is often our response in times of trouble. Trouble comes. We row, 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 row. I got this. And then finally when we can't do anything else, then we pray. And the good news is, when that happens, he's still there. He's still there. And what a gracious God, right? But our initial response to that trouble should be to go to him initially because he is ever-present with us. He's an ever-present Help. We need to remember, in times of chaos and fear, the presence of God. But we also need to remember the power of God. The power of God. Verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. Verse 6 says, He raised His voice, the earth melted. I want to talk about the name of God um, used in verses 11 and uh, 7. Uh, Yahweh Sabot, um, the Lord of hosts. The idea behind the title Yahweh Sabot is that he is the commander of armies, uh, both the army of his people and the armies of heaven. Uh, The title emphasizes his glory and might, as if to say um, that this glorious and mighty God is with his people. That's the idea, the Lord of hosts. He is a glorious God. He is Lord of heavenly armies. He's the Lord of armies. And here in our text, we find that Israel's boast was in God. While other nations flaunted their armies, weapons, fortresses, Israel knew that God was their refuge and strength. The term refuge here means a place of trust or or a place of safety. Um, if, If you've ever been caught in a rainstorm, actually just recently my wife and I we, we decided to go to the market down the hill. We live right across the street from here. Uh, go to that little mart. And when we first exited our house, it wasn't raining. It wasn't raining. And then when we're in the mart, we were in there for like, I'm, I'm not like two minutes. And then we came out. It was one of the heaviest rainstorms I've ever experienced. Like, it's not, I know it's not like in the midst of monsoons, but it was crazy. Um, so, and we didn't have an umbrella. And my wife's like, hey, we should wait it out. I'm like, no, we're not going to waste time. We're going to go, right? So, so we, we get out absolutely from head to toe. We are absolutely soaked, um, totally soaked. So what happens, and, and I think we've experienced this, because even if you have an umbrella in that kind of storm, it don't matter, Right? Because, you know, rain's supposed to be falling like this, but then when the wind's blowing, it's going like this, right? So you got your umbrella, rain's coming this way, umbrella's going this way, and you're just, it's useless, right? The umbrella's useless because it's not stronger than the winds. So what do you start to do? Okay, there's a building. Maybe I'll go over here, stand under the building because the rain can't get to me, and the, the walls will block the wind. We start to look for things that are stronger than the wind and whatever will make us dry from the rain, and I think this is helpful because so often we run to insufficient refuges. We run to places that are not stronger than the troubles we face. So we fall. Troubles will come that will be greater than your strength. But nothing's more powerful than the strength God provides. He is stronger than any catastrophe or any virus, more powerful than any trouble you may be facing. God is our refuge and strength, not our armies or fortresses, not our friends or family, not our titles or positions, not our abilities or talents, not our health or our financial stability. God is a far better refuge than any of these. All other strength is weakness compared to the strength of God. Go to him in times of trouble. Make sure that your strength is God, that you may say with the psalmist, he is my refuge and strength. Know him as the Lord of hosts. Our God spoke the universe into existence, reigns over all of it. He is the Lord over all of the armies of heaven. He's not some weak man with a long beard, worried about how things will turn out. He's all powerful. And if God is for us, who can be against us? If you know God as the Lord of hosts, you will depend on him. You will run to him instead of carrying that wimpy umbrella. If you know God as the Lord of hosts, you will depend on him. In times of trouble. We need to remember the presence of God. But we also need to remember the power of God. And we need to remember the providence of God as well. The providence of God. This, uh, this I get from verses 8 through 9. And it reads like this. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Uh, Before we get too deep into this, I just want to explain what I mean by providence. Uh, What I mean is the provisional work of God. The provision of God. When God provides through his divine foresight, the psalmist writes with such confidence because he recalls the providential work of God in his life and the life of Israel. And God has quite the resume when it comes to delivering Israel. It shouldn't take long for any Israelite to to think of instances where God delivered her from trouble. The author calls the nation to consider how God has destroyed destroyers like Babylon and Bashan. How he has delivered Israelite slaves from Egyptian tyranny. How he makes war cease to the ends of the earth. How he breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns chariots with fire. Remembering the providential work of God moves the author from fear to faith, from cowardice to confidence. But how often do we take time to remember what God has done for us? Taking time to write down answered prayers, ways he has provided when we thought things were hopeless. Then when those moments are seemingly more sparse in our life, we can look back And remember all that God has done for us and allow that to fuel our faith to move forward. And if you're thinking, well, Levi, I actually don't really have those moments of deliverance that are big in my life, right? I don't have that wow moment. Um, And I would disagree with you. If you're a Christian, if you put your faith in Christ, you have a history of deliverance from God like no other. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He took on himself what you deserve, namely the wrath of God. He rose from the dead and defeated death, so that by grace through faith, you can have a relationship with him and be justified before him. We need to take time to remember all that he's done for us, all that he's done for the history of the church, all that he's done. We need to remember the providence of God. But we also, and finally, need to remember the promises of God, the promises of God. The psalmist also remembers the promises of God. Uh, In verse 4, we have have interesting imagery. So we're going to camp out in verse 4 for a little while. He says there in 46 verse 4, There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. Uh, Back then, it was vital for a walled city to have a river running through it. Because, just like Sennacherib and Hezekiah... When armies surround it, you need to have a source to draw from in order to sustain your strength to keep fighting. And the idea behind surrounding the city would be, hey, you know, we want them to run out of resources, so either they die in the city or they're too weak to fight. We just go in, we conquer them easily. That's the idea. So it was vital. But, but Jerusalem, on a hill, right, doesn't have said river. So, so it's, it's actually puzzling because the psalmist says there is a river. Whose streams make glad the city of God. And then you're reading, you're like, no, there isn't. <laughs> what, are you, what, are you, what are you looking at? You know, what's, what's the river that he's referring to? Uh, but, but the truth is, future reality is already on the mind of the psalmist. The prophets anticipated a mighty river that would flow from the temple of Jerusalem. Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 12 Speaking of that future temple, says this. And on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water from them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Now John expands on this imagery in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. And he says this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And as we see this imagery of the river progressively revealed to us in Scripture, we're starting to learn something, that now this river is flowing from God. It's flowing from the throne of the Lamb. And we know the Lamb, capital L, Jesus Christ. Now that makes good sense. Because during Christ's ministry, he stands in the temple. And he exclaims to the crowd, the last day of the feast. He says, John chapter 7, verse 37. If anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. There is a sense in which, if you've put your faith in Christ no matter what circumstances you might find yourself in, what situation you're in right now, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, and his name is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And he's the one that we are to turn to in times of need, in times of trouble. He is our river. What a powerful phrase in and of itself, there is a river. There is a river. You thirsty? There is a river. And Jesus says, you thirsty? Come to me. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Man, that still gets me. It's not all duty. It makes you glad to come to Christ. What a great God. What a merciful, gracious God we serve. And the psalmist is doing something crucial here. In the midst of what is awful stuff, I mean, he explains it as if the mountains are going through the ground, The ground beneath him is shaking, right? And then raging waters that are foaming around him. It's not like row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. It's like you're trying to get breath. That's what he's describing, right? And that's what's raging around him. And yet in the midst of that, he decides, okay, there's a river. What are you looking at? He's remembering the promise of God. And we too need to do the same. And what promises do I speak of? When we find ourselves in hard times, he promises that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. He promises that his children will one day be in his perfect presence where there will be no sin and all tears will be washed away. He promises that we don't need to take revenge because all justice will be served by the great judge on judgment day. He promises that we can live with confidence before God because the blood of Christ covers our sin. He promises that all things work together for the good of those that trust God and love him and are called according to his purposes. We have so much to draw from and so little memorized. How how much of a blessing it would be to our life if we memorized the promises of God? We had those right here at all times. Whatever comes our way, we had that in our memory bank. Pull it out. Draw from it. We have so much to draw from. Remember the promises of God. In times of fear, we need to remember the presence, the power, the providence, and the promises of God. And these reminders function as fuel for faith in times of fear. You might ask the question, what's the first step towards confidence in God? What is that first step I think the answer we find in verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. In the NASB and uh, the HCSB, uh, the phrase is cease striving. Um, and the idea is this. Basically, give up. And although that sounds strange, the picture is, if it is it's as if someone's tied up Cease striving, and you're trying to get out with all of your might. And God steps in, and it's literally the voice of God. So what's interesting here is we believe all Scripture is inspired by God, but perspective changes in verse 10. It's as if God steps in, the writer's writing, and he says, be still and know that I am God. It's a powerful place. It's actually where the entire chapter sort of um, climaxes at, right? In verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Cease striving, stop moving, stop worrying, stop and know that I'm with you. Stop and know that I'm more powerful than whatever you're going through. Stop and know that I've been in control. I still am. Stop and know that I have promises that will give you hope. Be still and know that I am God. Through natural disasters, political turmoil, war, and all that we hear, the command is to be still. And it's not always what we want to do. But it is often what we need. In a world where everything around us begs for our attention, and we're actually convinced that our purpose in life is just to simply get ahead for the sake of getting ahead. We wake up early, we sleep late, put more and more on our plate until we're constantly moving. and We believe that that this is what God wants for us, to, to be pushing forward always. And it's true that we need to be working for God. That's a great thing. The thing we should do. But... There are times where we need to step back, put all distractions away, to be still and to know, to remember, to recall who he is in our lives. We need to learn that being still is not a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing. I want to talk briefly about this phrase "salah." Selah." The greatness of thought. Many scholars agree that this is what it means. It's a time to stop and ponder. To stop and, okay, what did I just read? It's a big deal. And there are several times where it does that in our psalm because our psalms are a pretty big deal. Selah. It's It's a place where it shows that whatever you just read is worthy of pause. It's worthy of stopping to think about what you just read and considered. And what if our lives were filled with a bunch of selahs? Where we stop and consider what's truly worthy. And I think that would be an immense blessing for us. As I've mentioned before, the great reformer, Martin Luther, uh, this was his favorite place to go. Psalm 46. No matter what was going on in his life, he wanted to go back to this psalm. And in fact, he wrote a hymn uh, based on Psalm 46. I'm going to read not all of it, but I'll read about uh, two, maybe two and a half verses Hopefully it's a blessing to us this morning. Afternoon. It reads like this. We will not fear, and though the world, I'm sorry, starting in verse two. And though this world with devils filled threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them, abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Martin Luther simply explaining what Psalm 46 so clearly states, um, that God is greater than any trial, that his promises are sure, that his presence is never failing, and that he is a trustworthy refuge. We need to retreat to our refuge. Why, Why does this matter? Why does it matter where we turn to, where we go, where we find rest? because where we turn to, where we go, where we find rest, where we find hope, shelter in times of chaos and fear, says everything about who and about what we trust. So who is that for you? What is that for you? Where do you go when troubles come? And I think the cry and the call of Psalm 46 is that we should go straight to the great refuge himself, our God. Let's pray.